<clears throat> Real quick before we uh, do the reading, I have something I want to share. Here's the thing. So at Grace, what are we trying to do? Maybe you've been around a long time. You're wondering, yeah, what are they trying to do? So here I'm, I'm going to tell you really quick in a nutshell what we're trying to do, what we feel God has called us to do here as a church. We're trying to create a place that no matter where people are coming from spiritually, like all different backgrounds and directions, no matter where people come from spiritually, that every single person could have a meaningful and significant encounter with Jesus Christ. That's our desire. Here's the problem. Here's what the problem is. And there's nothing bad about this, nothing evil. This is just life. This is the way it works. It works with any organization. And it definitely is true with churches, according to the studies. And over a period of time, any church, every church, it seems, becomes very insular, very much about who is on the inside. And so what happens over a period of time is as much as 95% of a church community that is more than 10 years old is made up of people coming from one location, not many locations spiritually. And that one location is a church background. The vast majority of people coming to church after a church has been around a while are only come from one place. And this is a big problem. It's a big problem for Jesus because as you look at the life of Jesus Christ, he is constantly surrounded by people from church background, non-church, all kinds of spiritual backgrounds. They're coming from all over the place. They're not coming from one place. They're coming in a multitude of places. When a church is brand new, we experience this in our first five years at Grace Community Church. When a church is brand new, there's like a spiritual, incredible spiritual spark. There just is. I think God is just really into going and pioneering and launching out in faith and doing something new. He just so much, and we saw that big time in the early days. I've, I've talked about this a million times. The most incredible baptismal ceremony that we ever had, celebration we ever had, was in our first five years when we were a fraction of this size. We had the most amount of people baptized. We had the most incredible stories. It was like, Whoa! A brand new church or a church that starts a brand new location is as much as eight times more effective at welcoming in people from all kinds of spiritual backgrounds. Make sense? That's just the data. Our mission that we feel God's put us on is to create a place where people, no matter where you're coming from spiritually, meaningful and significant encounter with Jesus Christ. The data shows us the way to do that is, uh, is to keep moving out. Okay. So we have this incredible opportunity to start a brand new location at George Mason High School. And it's right next door to the West Falls Church Metro. It's a fantastic location to do so. So you take our mission and you take the fact that we've been actually looking into this for many years. This is the first place that like open arms, they would love for us to be there, which is great to be wanted, <laughs> right? So they actually want us to be there. It's a fantastic, very strategic location. It's awesome. We're thrilled about it. So we're going to start a second location. We're going to stay here. So some of you have been around a while, you know that the county's talking about building another elementary school in the parking lot and what's going to happen with our parking when that happens. You know, the county hasn't figured that out yet, but they're going to figure it out because they have to figure it out because they have to continue on here as a school and a community center. They're going to figure it out. So, and they want us to stay, which is also great. And we want to stay because we love it here. But we're going to be here and we're going to be at George Mason High School. We're going to tie the two together through video. Some of you have seen these video cameras that we have. There's a whole control room behind that wall over there. And um, we're going to tie the two things together with video. Um, and so we're going to video project over to George Mason High School. We're going to do this starting in March 2017, and we are very excited about it. We're so excited about it because it's right in alignment with what we feel God has called us to do, and that is continue to reach people no matter where you're coming from spiritually. So we're thrilled. We're thrilled at the fact that this church, even though we're 15 years old, is made up of 40% people are self-classified as a non-church goer. We're thrilled about that because Jesus was the master at that. All we're trying to do is 
resemble just a piece of what Jesus Christ, what he lays out for us. On Sunday, October the 23rd, there's a lunch after this service. We'll have a lunch, and we'll talk about all the details. For now, you just need to know we're going to be the same church. We're going to be one church. We're just going to have two locations, same church, same vision, same everything. We're just going to be in two different, lo- two different locations. And so we'll talk more about it. If you're interested in being on that George Mason launch team, I know some of you have a pioneering spirit. If you're interested in being on that launch team, legibly, on your Connect card, just write something else. You know what? I'm interested in that. It's right next to the West Falls Church Metro. Uh, at the very least, pray with us about this because uh, this is something we've been praying about for many years. And... Um, That's all I have to say. Thanks so much for listening. Okay? Thank you. Appreciate it. Here's Alma. Say hello, Alma. Ah, yes. Take it away, sister. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. No one remembers the former generations. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a poor man, but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised. Thank you, Alma. Ecclesiastes. All right. Does anybody know the best city to live in in the United States of America? Arlington Arlington County. You're exactly right. That's spoken from a native Arlingtonian over there. Uh, actually, there was a recent study that was done. Arlington County is considered the best city to live in in the United States of America. Can you believe that? Here's what, what's why. <laughs> why? What's one of those factors? A lot of great restaurants, right, in this city. Here's one of the, here's one of the big factors is there's so many jobs here. So what makes it so great? One of the factors of the many factors is there's just so many jobs here. And so I want to say next week we're going to talk about something. We're going to talk about this one thing that the Bible says that is um, readily available to us that gives us a big advantage in choosing which job. So here's the thing. There's a whole bunch of jobs. And, and, and the Bible, for the most part, right, is a book about right and wrong and morality and stuff. Well, if I have jobs A, B, and C... A, B, and C is not a sin to take any of those. But if I choose poorly, I might be really miserable. Do you know what I mean? Does anybody know what I mean in the house, right? If I choose poorly, I might be miserable. Well, the Bible says there's one thing that we can have that's readily available to all of us that will help us to choose really, really well. And we're going to do that next week. 
All right. For this week, we're going to focus on Ecclesiastes style. We're going to back way up into this whole thing about how do I find meaningful work? How do I find passion? That's why I'm wearing this shirt today. Passion, passion in my vocation. Right? The word vocation actually comes from a Latin word that means calling. What is your calling? How can I find my passion? We're going to back all the way up and at a very base level talk about the question that I need to deal with, the reality that I need to deal with about how I can find passion in my place of work. All right. What do you think is the hardest working city in the United States of America? Anybody? Hardest working city in the United States of America. Somebody said Washington, D.C. New York. Chicago. That's right. Okay. All right. You don't seem too enthusiastic, so I'll give you the answer. Okay. Arlington County was just uh, deemed the hardest working city in the United States of America. You know how? You know what they measured it on? Hours of work. Hours of work. Exactly. Well, so you all love to work. <laughs> uh, you are working a lot of hours, and therefore we are the hardest working city because we put up, we're like workaholics. We work, 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 work in this city. You know what number two was? It also starts with the letter A. There's a, there's a hint for you. Letter A. Anchorage. Anchorage, Alaska. Hardworking people in Anchorage, Alaska. Number three, Lincoln, Nebraska. Lincoln, Nebraska. Number four, Plano, Texas. Texas. You Texas people had to get in there somewhere. You know what was bottom of the list for hardworking cities? Bottom of the list. Detroit. Detroit. Not a lot of work going on up in Detroit now. It's one of the bad things uh, in Detroit. So they're really facing some extremely, extremely tough times. So I want to remind you of a couple things, if I can, here real quick about Ecclesiastes that will help us. Because as we work our way through this incredible book that is so unique, there's no other book in the Bible like it. What Amma just read for us, you're not going to find lines like that in any other book in the Bible. It's written from the viewpoint of a skeptic under the sun. There's nothing above the sun. So this philosophy professor, which is exactly what Ecclesiastes has written, from the viewpoint of a philosophy professor who's giving us a skeptic's perspective on life under the sun. There is no God. Every, there's nothing above the sun. And he takes on different roles. So he's teaching his student. He's asking questions. It's in the Socratic method where it's just asking question after question. There's no answers in Ecclesiastes. It's all questions. It's incredible. Many people think it should be the first book in the Bible because it's all about question, pushing, pushing, pushing us to think. And the philosophy professor takes on different roles in all this. He's like, one time, you know, he's like a king, and the next time he's fighting for justice, next time he's doing all kinds of things with work, so he takes on all these different roles. So as you're reading it, this will help you. Oh, wait a minute, he was this, and then he's this, and what's happening here? Why is he moving? That's what it's like. It's like a person putting on a play, and they're the only character in the play, and they have to put on a different character over and over and over. That's the book of Ecclesiastes, written from the role, from the viewpoint of a skeptic to us. It's amazing. You know, he's pushing us to talk about is if there is nothing above the sun and everything is just under the sun, does that mean if we are from, here's his question, if we're from an insignificant origin headed to an insignificant destiny, does that mean our lives right now are insignificant? Many people say our origin is insignificant. And because of that, our, our, our destiny is also insignificant. Should we also have the guts to admit that our lives are insignificant? This is his question. And we have to give that answer. So today, we are going to focus on one thing that we need to deal with, one reality that we have to deal with in order to approach. It's all about the approach. I'm not a pilot. I don't pretend to know anything about flying. But I've watched aircrafts land before, okay? Okay. And they, they, they all seem to have 
somewhat identical approaches, right? They don't come in too fast. They don't come in too slow. They don't come in like this, and they don't come in like this, right? Have you noticed that too? Right? They seem to all come in at this speed, not too fast, right? It's about your approach. And so I'm asking you in your approach, since we're all workaholics here, in your approach to work, you have to approach it with a certain understanding about a reality. And what is that reality? Here's the reality. You're going to die and be forgotten, okay? You're going to die. There's your good news for the day. <laughs> You're going to die and be forgotten. Oh, man, I'm going to make... See, see, Ecclesiastes is about three things. It's constantly three things, trying to find meaning in three things. First of all, number one is a cause, like injustice. I'm going to fight, make a difference in the world. Injustice. He's like, <laughs> you know, nope. Number two, pleasures, possessions, money, right? Everything wrapped around that. He's like, nope, not taking any of it with you. And the last thing is work. I'm going to do something significant at work, right? And I'm going to be remembered for that. And I'm gonna, people around me are going to appreciate me for that. He's like, no. All of it's temporary, which means all of it's meaningless, and we're all going to die and we're going to be forgotten. So what I'd like to do this morning, given that lead-in, is I want to go through these verses that Amma just read for us because they're, they're, they're brilliant. And I want to say this at the outset. Just about every great philosopher, every deep thinker, every great person comes to the same question that our philosophy professor comes here. So it's not like he's in a vacuum. There's all kinds of people here with him saying the same, same thing. So here it begins, right? What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? So you're working a lot of long hours, Arlingtonians. Working a lot of long hours thinking, oh man, got to do it, got to do it, got to do it, going to make a difference. And he's saying, what do you gain? The word gain means, in the Hebrew, is there's no permanent value. It's all temporary. We have a desire for something that's permanent. We've been saying this. Ecclesiastes is unique, and so is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 11. God has said eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? We have a passion for endlessness. What does that mean? It means the polls show us that even though people say, oh, yeah, religion's done for, that we're more intensely religious now than we've ever been. That's according to Gallup Worldwide Survey. We're intensely... Why? Because we have a desire and a passion in our hearts that can only be met by something that's endless. And so we try to find it in things that are temporary, hoping that it'll really give us, right? But it doesn't. It doesn't. So we're searching. You can't find anything permanent. That is there. Right? So we're giving all of our time to work, hoping that, oh, man, they'll see the contribution. They'll appreciate me for the contribution and all that I'm doing. I don't know how good you are at your place of work, but there's a guy, and his name was Steve Jobs, right? And some people think he was very influential in our world and very influential as the CEO of Apple, okay? Some people think he was very influential, right? But I want to tell you, as good as he was, and everybody says, man, he made Apple. You know what they did? You know what the board did to Steve Jobs? They fired him. They fired him. So before you start thinking that, oh, man, you're setting the world on fire, the philosophy for says, you know what? They might all turn on you, and there's nothing permanent. Your job's not permanent. It might be over. So you have to approach it that way, knowing that, you know what? You're going to die, and you're going to be forgotten. And every, people might not come along and say, oh, man, you're everything. Oh, man, the company's done because of you. They fired him. Verse number four, generations come and go, but the earth remains forever. You know what that's saying? Generation after generation after generation. We're saying to ourselves, I'm going to make a difference. 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 And he's saying, you think you're making a difference, but nothing's really changing. He's got a really good point there. You think you're making a difference in the world, but nothing's really changing which is tough for us, thinking that, you know what, I want to make my mark. 
There's a passion inside of us that we have to like recreate Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden utopia, right? We keep trying. We keep, we're so smart. We're so smart. I've said this before, like 97% of everything that's ever been known has been known in the last 50 years. We are so, so smart today, but we can't overcome the problems. Like we solve one problem and 20 more pop up. Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I was reading this guy who's writing this piece about people who were protesting out in front of a grocery store. They were protesting because this grocery store was selling a certain brand of coffee, right, where people were being abused who were making that coffee in another country. And they were there, human rights, injustice, this is terrible, picking and yelling and screaming. And they want people treated fair. Is that good? Would you say that's good, human rights? Would you say justice for people, people not being mistreated? I know you would, although you're not saying anything right now. Yes, you would. But that's where you are. And he said, these same people who did this for human rights justice went home and a bunch of them, they all got together and did drugs that they bought from murderous cartels that torture and kill people. Do you see the insanity in that? We solve one problem, 10 more crop up. We're really smart, but we can't solve these problems. We're not creating utopia. Generations come and go. Everything remains the same. Oh, we would never do that back in history. Bad people back there. We're better. We're more enlightened now, are we? No one remembers the former generations, for the wise like the fool will know, not be long remembered. You're never going to read this anywhere else in the Bible, everybody. Did you see what I just said? No one remembers the former generations. The wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. Wait a minute. Isn't the wise, like, wise, I want to be wise. He's like, you think you're wise? Nobody's going to remember you. Will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. John Keats is a writer, British writer. And he had this put on his tombstone, all right? He says this, here lies one whose name was written in water. We think we're making a mark. We think we're making a difference. All forgotten. You say, you know, but I'm doing it for my children. I'm doing it for my children's children and my children's children. And they're, they're going to love me for it. I'm, I'm doing all this for them. I'm working so hard and they're going to, you know, it's going to be so great. I got news for you. Your children and your family might despise you. There's the sad reality. Oh, man, I worked so hard. There's no way they're going to appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all your hard work. They might despise you. We've been talking about uh, John Rockefeller for the past few weeks. Why? Because he made so much money, right? He was an incredible, $350 billion, the richest person who has ever lived, according to some estimates. He, uh, he had a lot of faults. He had a lot of weaknesses, everybody. But almost every uh, person, historian that's written about him will say this. He really treated his family well, particularly his brothers. And he had one, one of his brothers was just a disaster. Just gambled away all of his money constantly. Just really, really bad. And uh, Rockefeller bailed him out over and over and over, like to fortunes, not with a $10 bill. <laughs> We're talking millions of dollars he would bail him out. And everybody said, man, they, the brothers should just absolutely love him. You know what the brother thought about his, what, after all that he did? After all the heat, his brother went, like, went out with the press and despised his older brother, John, despised him. So we might think that everybody should say, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And the family says, thank you so much. But you know what? They also might despise you. We're going to talk a lot about this actually uh, next week. John Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. <laughs> Les Mis, any Les Mis fans? Les Mis, Les Mis, Les Mis. I, I, it's, I, on some level, it must be a sin not to see that musical. 
I'm just thinking maybe it could be. So they're there. They're at their barricades. They're fighting against all the injustice, right? Oh, this huge cause. And right before the big battle, they're there at the barricade. They sing this song. And here's a line in the song. Will the world remember you when you fall? Could it be your death means nothing at all? Is your life just one more lie? Now, what would the philosophy professor say from Ecclesiastes? He'd say, absolutely right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It means nothing at all. Underneath the sun, nothing at all. Just one lie. One more lie. Now, maybe you'll be remembered if you make the, build the pyramids, right? Is anybody thinking about building the pyramids again? Okay. Maybe we might remember you for a little while if you build the pyramids. But for the rest of us, done. Nobody even knows who Rockefeller is anymore. You know Rockefeller Center, and that's about all you know about him. Nobody even recognizes his picture when I put it up on the screen. $350 billion and lived less than 100 years ago. Okay. All right. Let's continue on. This is so depressing. Uh, <laughs> it is better to go. Think about this. You ready? It is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. What is he saying? You should hang out at funeral parlors. Every funeral you hear about, you should go to. So if somebody invites you to a party and somebody invites you to a funeral, you're going to the funeral, right? That's where you need to be, right? Hang out at the funeral. Uh, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Consider what God has done and who can straighten what he has made crooked as no one has the power over the wind to contain it. So no one has the power over the time of their death. Socrates says that death may be the greatest human blessing of all. Why in the world is he so morbid? Because all the great ones, all the deep thinkers say the same thing. We must deal with death must deal with death because death renders everything meaningless. You read through the great philosophers, right? And many of them will talk about this exact same thing. The Buddha, he leaves the palace. And his first trip out of the palace after everything is okay, he leaves the palace and what does he see? He sees a poor man. He's like, oh, this isn't good. Second trip out of the palace, what does the Buddha see? He sees a sick man. This isn't good. Third trip out of the palace, he sees a dying person. He says, we've got to do something about this. This is where Socrates says that we have to examine our lives and we have to think deeply. Because what? We don't want to think about death, do we? I mean, that's kind of why it's so quiet in here right now. Right? We don't want to deal. We want to tune it out. And that's why when you read Ecclesiastes and he keeps saying, eat, drink, you know, party, watch football on Sunday afternoons, Right? enjoy your wife, okay? He's saying, try to tune it out. But wisdom is going to keep breaking through, he says, and we'll have to deal with death. We don't want to focus on death. I'm going to start a prayer. I'm, a wild, I'm just going to take a wild chance here. I'm going to see if you can complete the prayer for me. Ready? Now I lay me down to sleep. If I should... Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Good night, sweetheart. <laughs> what a wonderful way to put children to bed. <laughs> we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to deal with that. Death is the great clarifier. There's a, uh, show us that cereal there, Mark. Yeah. We want a bowl of life. You know, we don't sell bowls of death, right? <laughs> 
the marketing on that isn't going to work too. How about a bowl of death? Would you like a bowl of death this morning? Let's have a bowl of death together. Let's share, let's share all of it together. Hey, show us that, show us this cemetery. This is a cemetery in Boston. Anybody recognize, anybody know the name of that cemetery? It was the most visited attraction in Boston for many years after it first was created. It's Mount Auburn. Okay. Do you know that Central Park was designed after Mount Auburn? And in New York City, they said, you know what? We, you know, incredible. We want Mount Auburn minus the graves. Right? <laughs> so we want the beauty. Can you just take all the death out of it? We want it minus all the graves. But, but it's the great clarifier for us. Great clarifier. We have to deal with it. We're all on the Titanic. It's going down. It is go- it's, it's going down. I just read this report by VCU. They did this past week. They came out with this thing this past week. Virginia Commonwealth University, they said, if you are born in D.C., all right, don't raise your hand if you are. If you're born in D.C., your life expectancy is eight years less than if you were born here in Northern Virginia, all right? I was born in Alexandria, so I guess I'm living eight years longer. But if you're born in D.C., you're in trouble. So I know some of you are freaking out right now. You're like, oh my gosh, I was born in D.C., okay? But here's the, in the grand scheme of things, does it matter? Does it matter that you're going down eight, year, eight years earlier? Because in the grand scheme of things, we're all dying. We're all in the Titanic. We're going to die, and we're all going to be forgotten. Here's a rabbinic saying. Everyone must carry two pieces of paper with him and look at them every day. On one it is written, you are dust and ashes. On the other, for you, the universe was created. So uh, dealing with this thing, dealing with this death is the last story, and then we'll transition to something else that maybe would be more hopeful. Thomas Carlyle, who was considered, he's a Scottish writer, considered um, one of the most important social voices uh, during his day. Uh, very committed to his work. He, was, he wrote about a lot of stuff that Ecclesiastes talks about, that you know what, don't hang your hat, don't put all your value in things that are temporal, look at things that are permanent, right? Don't money, possessions. He's like, no, 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 okay? But when it came to his work, he was a workaholic. He was a big-time workaholic, so he didn't take his own advice. You tracking with me? He marries his secretary, Jane Welsh. And uh, after they've been married for a while, she gets sick. She gets really sick. And in the beginning, he really didn't, he really didn't even notice. And so it was found out that she has cancer. She battles cancer for a few years, and then, and then she dies. And he never really, because he was so consumed and devoted to his work, he didn't really spend any time with her whatsoever at all. And so uh, they go to the uh, funeral service and the cemetery. It's a really stormy day. It's raining tons. He's done. He's at the graveside. Now he comes home. He comes home to a very empty house. He goes up to her bedroom and he just sits down beside the bed and he notices her diary sitting there on the table. And he picks it up and begins to read. And I'm going to give you a couple excerpts that she talks about in her diary. Here is one sentence for an entire page, just one sentence. She says this, Yesterday, he spent an hour with me and it was like heaven. I love him so. And it's like, oh my gosh. It's a great clarifier for him, death. He kept reading, reading, reading. Here's another entry in her diary. I have listened all day to hear his steps in the hall, but now it is late and I guess he won't come today. He kept reading. He was devastated. He ran back to the graveside, kneeled down in the mud, and friends found him hours later Eyes red with tears, completely distraught. He lived another 15 years, but he never really made any attempts at writing again of significance because he was so devastated by this. Death is the great clarifier. And rather than us having to be confronted with a situation like that, we're better off, the philosophy professor says, we're better off right now to realize that we're all going to die and we are going to be 
forgotten. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad. You'll never find this anywhere else in the Bible, everybody. Wait a minute, the good and the bad, we're all going the same place, common destiny. What? Remember, we're under the sun. The clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. Now here's this. In the Hebrew, it's like flashing lights. Greatly impressed me, shocked me, grabbed my attention. You know, however, whatever needed to happen, shook me. I'm like, oh my gosh, look what this is. So he's getting ready to tell us what shook him so much. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it. So you got a little tiny city, right? And you have this massive king, huge army comes against. So unbelievable odds. There's no way out of this for this little city. They're going to be destroyed. Right? Powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. It must have been an amazing thing to see this little tiny city with these huge siege works around it. It's overwhelming odds. Now there lived in that city a man, poor but wise. Those two don't go together. In the ancient times, they're reading and saying, what? Wise, rich, go together, right? But not poor and wise. So now it's like, what's that about? He saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remember, remember that poor man. So I said wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised. We have to first figure out uh, how we're going to deal with death. Because death renders everything meaningless. So let's deal with, let's, let's, let's deal with death head on here in the conclusion uh, of this message. All right? Who is this man? Who is this man? Do you know a man? Do you know a man that's very wise but extremely poor? I mean, can you think in history of a man who's very, very poor but very, very wise? Can you think of a man who, against all odds, through his wisdom, saved people? Can you think of a man who then, after he did that, was greatly despised? Can you think of a man, right, who was forgotten? What we have is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ right here. Jesus Christ, poor but wise, out of his great love, saves against all odds an entire city. Forgotten on the cross, cosmic forgottenness. My God, my God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forsaken me? And then despised. This is an example to us of Jesus Christ being the solution for our problem with death. Death renders everything meaningless. And so now we've got to figure out a way to deal with death. And that's why all the great thinkers come at it with death. Now here, let me slow down and say this. Jesus Christ. How do we get into that eternal life? So Jesus Christ is the king, eternal, immortal. How do we experience the eternity that God put in our hearts to experience? Is it because of following a list of rules? Let me show you scripture here, if I can, everybody. All right? So look what it says. Hebrews seven nineteen. For the law never made anything perfect. The Ten Commandments, the law rules the Bible. Every great religious person will say, here's how you might be able to overcome death. Do this, this, and this. Maybe you'll be good. So he says, no. That's not going to get you anywhere because nobody can actually follow the law. Nobody can do it. But now we have confidence. How do we have confidence? We have confidence. We have a better hope. How do we have a better hope through which we draw near to God? 
We do this through Jesus Christ because he's the king, eternal, immortal. And how do you get into a relationship with him? And I know some of us here have experienced people, religious leaders, family members, parents, whatever, who gave you a load of stuff and said, you know what, you do that by doing all this. And that's not how you experience it. You experience not by trusting in yourself to fulfill that and gain eternal life. You do it by trusting not in yourself, but trusting in him that he did it for you. And all of his perfection, that status is conferred upon you as you trust in his great love. Let's talk about love for a second. I know many people say, I believe in a God of great love. I believe in a God of great love. I don't know about Jesus. I don't know about the dying on the cross thing. You know, I don't have to. All I have to do is believe in a God of love. I, can I try? I want to challenge that. I want to try in one second to say to you that you actually maybe don't really believe in that. And what I want to encourage you to do is align your beliefs in the next few moments, okay? I'm not being disrespectful, but I believe this is universal, all right? And we're not totally thinking this out. Isaiah 118 says, come, let us reason together. All right, let's think this through. What is love? How do we measure love? How do we say, oh, yes, that is love? So if it's God in general, oh, yes, you're loving, what's the empirical evidence that God is love? Where is the empirical evidence of a loving God? So when somebody says, I just believe in loving God, I say, why? Why? Where's your evidence? Here's how we measure love. Here's how we measure love. We always measure love by sacrifices. I want you to think of the greatest love stories that you've ever heard, you've ever read. Uh, true, fictional, whatever. What are they all about? They're all about the same thing, everybody. Universal. All around the world, they're all about the same thing. Romeo and Juliet, great sacrifice. The Notebook, considered one of the greatest <laughs> romance movies of all time. What's it about? It's about sacrifice. About sacrifice. There he is. Come on, Dad. Leave. You don't need to be with all the Alzheimer's patients. I'm staying right here. I will never leave you. And we boohoo and we cry. Because it's always the same thing. And so what do we have? We don't have a God sitting on the throne. What we have is Jesus Christ who comes down. Who comes down. You want to climb the corporate ladder, right? We want to climb everything. That's what we are. We're climbers. We want to climb. And as we're climbing, we pass Jesus because he's climbing down and we're climbing up. He's climbing down. He's climbing down, knowing everything that we'll ever do. I know some of us here today, and it's so, oh my gosh, Jesus, it's all about rules. No, it's not. The way into eternal life is by trusting in the love of God. It's not trusting in myself to obey or keep the commands. It's me trusting in His perfect love. Has that ever burst in your heart? Because there's something radically unique about that that you'll find nowhere else. And there's confidence in it. Because some days you're good and some days you're bad. I don't know about you. Let me not speak about you. Some days I'm really bad. So I don't have any confidence on those bad days, do I? But if I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and his great love and what he's done for me, my confidence can always be high because it's always in him and it's not in me. That is confidence in what he has done. Today is communion. I'm going to ask that the communion team will just... Uh, grab the trays and you all just sit tight. I'm going to explain communion real quick, but those are going to come. There. And as soon as you guys grab it, go ahead and start serving. Don't even, don't even wait. As they are moving, I want to say a couple things about communion, if I can. First of all, listen, communion, everybody here at Grace is open to every single person. It's a very serious moment, but open to every person. Some of you are not going to feel comfortable taking it. That's okay. Don't feel the slightest bit embarrassed whatsoever. We completely understand it. It's okay. Nobody's going to be looking at you. You're not in that place. You're not in that same kind of place. 
You do what you're comfortable with. Here is what the Bible does say about communion. It's a time that we examine ourselves. It's like Socrates says, a life unexamined is not worth living. It's the same thing the Bible says. We need to begin to examine ourselves and our own reality. And our reality is, is that there's nothing but meaninglessness, that death renders everything meaningless. And so now we have to figure out a way to deal with the desire for eternity in our hearts. And how are we going to do that? Through Jesus Christ, the King, eternal, immortal. That is how we do that. It is only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we will find meaning. And here's the amazing thing, everybody, about that. Because death renders absolutely everything in our lives meaningless through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are told in the scriptures that now everything is rendered meaningful. You've gone from total, utter meaninglessness through a relationship with Jesus Christ that's not based on you, that's based on him. Now every single thing you do in your life is full, full of meaning. And the Bible says there's nothing that you do in him. It is not without great meaning. So in Christ, we have tremendous, we have tremendous meaning. So I'm going to ask you if you'll just hold the bread and hold the cup. In a moment, I'm going to, um, I'm going to pray over it and, uh, and we, will take, we will take together. Um, and let me say this while we're finishing up passing this. i tell you a story. Because some of us here today, like, you know, we work really hard. <laughs> And we thought, you know what, if I just got to this certain place, if I got this position at work, if I made it to this amount of money, if I made it to this amount of recognition at work, of course I would find, I, I would find tremendous meaning. I'm going to talk a lot about that next week. Because once we finally get to the place that we want to go to, we realize we're still the same person. And we're still in, in, in need of meaning. So for some of us who are here today, we're like, oh man, give me, can you give me some hope? How am I going to find hope? There was a... Uh, there was this great chess champion, and he went with a buddy of his to, uh, to a museum, and they were looking at all these works of art. And they're walking around, and one of the pictures, the title of it was Checkmate. And in this picture, you had an opponent, and he was against this figure that kind of looked like the devil. And the devil like, had all of his full assortment left. like He hadn't lost any of his pieces. And here this person is, this sad person, is down to one last piece, the king. And this international chess champion, he's looking at this picture, and he just couldn't leave it. And his friend's like, come on, man, let's go. Let's, he's tugging on his arm, and the friend's getting all upset. And finally he says, just go, get out, you know, do whatever you want. You know, look all over the museum, I'm staying here. A couple hours later, the buddy comes back, and the chess champion is still staring at this picture. And he says to his buddy, he says, look, we got to find out where the artist is of this picture. And his buddy's like, why? He says, because the king still has one more move. He's still got one more move left. God, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God eternal and immortal has one more move left in our lives. And that is, he swallows up all of death in meaninglessness. And therefore, everything that we can do, everything we do in life, we can know with assurance that it all has great meaning. That's his promise to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, an entire chapter, long chapter, dedicated to one thing. He's taken the sting out of death. So, if you're just under the sun and there's nothing above it, there's meaninglessness. But through Jesus Christ, there's great meaning. Okay. Uh, you have the bread and you have the cup. And here's the thing that it reminds us of. 
of the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he has made uh, for all of us. As I said a few moments ago, without Jesus Christ coming down and sacrificing greatly for us because of his tremendous love, we would never know of the unbelievable love that God has for us. It is found through Jesus Christ. So as you take the bread and the cup this morning, as we eat and drink together, I just want to ask that you think about your own life and you maybe consider where in your relationship with Jesus Christ, what is that based on? Is it based on your performance, on how good you are, or is it based on His? Because those are two radically different things. One is Christianity and the other is not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for your word that you deal with these very, very difficult, difficult questions that are before us. Jesus, I want to thank you that you came down. You climbed that ladder down from your throne and you sacrificed so much knowing, knowing that we would continue to turn away, but still you love. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, may the great mystery of your incredible love for us explode in our hearts afresh and anew, transforming us, God. Bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup for your honor and glory in your holy name. Amen. Let us eat and drink together. For some of you, um, you've never thought about entering a relationship with Jesus Christ as the way that I just explained it. For a bunch of us in this room, you thought about entering that relationship with Jesus Christ is based on you keeping some rules. No one's ever told you that that's not Christianity. And for those of you who would like to put your trust in His love, not in your performance, but in His love, I just want to encourage you today to not leave this place without saying to Jesus, you know what? I place my trust in you, my King, eternal, immortal. I place my trust in your love. Through this great mystery, come into my heart and bring me that living hope that turns everything into great, great meaning. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, our prayer team is going to be right alongside this wall. Um, We'd be happy to pray with you. And if you're new, I'd love to meet you right over here at Grace and Five. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your love that is so amazing and so mighty, so unconditional, so unrelenting. Lord, let us find our security in you, not in ourselves. Help us to look to you. And Lord, help us to know that our lives can be filled with meaning, that everything we do matters because of our relationship with the King Eternal. In your holy name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.